The Pat Kenny Show on News Talk with Matter Private Network. During current restrictions, don't ignore your health concerns. Our expert team is ready to help. Professor Luke O'Neill, Professor of Biochemistry at Trinity College in Dublin. Good morning. Good morning, Pat. Now, interesting topics today. Vaccinating adults might just protect children. Explain. Yeah, this is a really good study put in America, actually. They've looked at the rate of children being infected in different states, and they can compare all the different states. And Florida has 12 times the rate of kids being infected than Massachusetts, for instance. Uh, Louisiana has 10 times the rate. There's a big difference, obviously. And the question is, why would that be? There could be all kinds of reasons, but it's the, the rate of vaccination turns out to be one of the big reasons. So Massachusetts have reached 66% fully vaccinated. Florida's 50 and that difference might mean that, you know, if there's more kids getting infected from adults, basically. And, and the message really is, Pat, if, if adults get vaccinated, it'll protect the children because there'll be less uh, infection coming from adults into children. OK, so that, that's the good news. That should be good news uh, for us as uh, yeah. everyone over uh, 12 can potentially be vaccinated at the moment under the NIAC rules. Uh, so that would protect the under 12s if everyone over exactly. 12 yeah, was it's vaccinated. It's another incentive for everybody to get vaccinated. But you, you will protect children if you're an adult if you get vaccinated. That was the message from that study. Uh, by the way, what do you think of the government uh, allowing minors up to the age of 18 if they're accompanied by an adult to not to have to have a vaccine cert? Yeah, that's an interesting one. That's to do with not, not breaking up the families, isn't it, Pat? That was the, the controversy there, yeah. wasn't it, I suppose? How that's many 17-year-olds want to go to a restaurant with their parents? Anyway, <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's another, <laughs> anyway. Maybe another reason not to go, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, they're not insisting on it, which seems uh, bizarre, because they're virtually fully grown as uh, human beings, if not necessarily intellectually mature, yeah. shall we say. Now, surplus vaccines, and this is a scandalous story, really. It that is. That there's stuff yeah. going down the toilet. Well, it's funny, Pat. Remember when this all began, we worried about the ultra-cold freezers. Remember, that was one issue with the Pfizer vaccine. Did we have enough yeah. of them and so on? Well, now it's about shelf life, actually. That, that's the next uh, topic. Because it turns out there's loads of surplus vaccines in many countries, but they're going past their, their sell-by date, you know? And they're now discarding vaccines. So, so in the US, in Canada, in Germany, you know, they've, they've been discarding these surplus vaccines because it's past the sell-by date. And it's a hugely important thing because, you know, in the UK, for instance, they've got seven doses per person there already you know, in, in, the, in the freezer, as it were, you know. And then the thing is, they could go off and they, they could give them away to the countries that desperately need them. So suddenly there's a massive interest in these surplus vaccines and making sure they get from a country that has them yeah. into a country that needs them, you know. Um, I don't know how you feel about this, but if there's a yogurt and it's a couple of days off its sell-by date, my technique is to open it and sniff it. Yeah. Uh, if it sniffs fine, I'll eat it. Uh, and the same goes to bread and other things. Um, how about vaccines? I mean, how would they go off? Yeah, well, the, the, well, first of all, there's pressure on the manufacturer to show they're stable. So, so first of all, it's a six months usually is the shelf life, shall we say. But that was a bit arbitrary. They just picked that, you know, especially during this emergency use. They said, let's make it six months. Most vaccines are, are, are fine up to three years even, you know, after you've made them. So it's a, bit of a, it's a bit of an imprecise science in a way. But they want proof now that the vaccines are still stable. They just test it to see if it's broken down in any way, you know, and, and, and can go off chemically, I suppose. But most vaccines vaccines are perfectly stable for out to three years, you see. So so now what's happening is that the manufacturers are now being asked by the regulators, show us that these vaccines are stable, you know, say to a year, you could do now, for instance, with some of them, or nine months anyway, and begin to extend that shelf life. And maybe even take a chance, the Canadians have said, look, they're probably stable beyond the six months, given our experience with other vaccines, so therefore we'll extend it a bit, you know, and they did it without the data. But I suppose what's happening is that they need good data to show that they are stable beyond the six months.
Mm. And then the WHO is encouraging this process, but then there are countries saying, I'm not taking the hand-me-downs from the yeah. West. Yeah, this is the trouble. So Malawi, for instance, publicly burned AstraZeneca vaccine that went to them because it was passed itself by days to make that point. You know, we're not, we're not taking, you know, stuff that's got, potentially gone off, even though probably isn't. You know? So there is, it's a, bit of, it's a bit of a controversy. The other one is South Sudan discarded nearly 60,000 doses because they said it was passed the cell by date. So it's a strange, because I'm sure those vaccines were fine, you see. Like a month or two after the cell by date should definitely be fine, you know, and even months and months after it should be fine as well. Yeah, Uh, I suppose people are worried if they're not effective and they think they're vaccinated and put themselves in harm's way. That's what they're concerned about. Yeah, that's another issue. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, Mm -hmm. in New York, they they realised they gave 900 doses to people that were past the sell-by date. They realised afterwards the sell-by date and then they revaccinated them just in case for that reason. So again, we need a bit more data to make sure that they're still active uh, beyond the sell-by date. Now, um, let's talk about the lab leak because, um, you know, Donald Trump uh, talked about the China virus and uh, suggested that this was a leak in the lab rather than something that came through uh, the animal kingdom to humans. Uh, what's the latest? Well, again, we're waiting for because remember, Biden asked the security staff in America for a report within 90 days. Now we're past the 90 days and we still haven't seen the report. They may have given the report to Biden. You know, we're waiting to see what was in that report to address this very concern that was it a lab leak or not. So sadly, we don't know. We're waiting for that report to come out. But they have released a couple of things. I mean, see, they can't find the intermediate animal pie. We don't really know whether if it is a wild say, origin, mm. as we call this, you know. Uh, what was the animal? That, it, it may have gone from a bat into a different animal and then into us, you see. And they've still had trouble exactly pinpointing what that animal was. And that makes them wonder. And of course, they just haven't discovered it yet, is, is the answer to that. But still, they haven't found it. And then the other argument that it wasn't a lab leak, by the way, was um, the Chinese have released that nobody tested positive for antibodies in March 2020 in the lab in Wuhan because as you know there was a lab actually in Wuhan which was working on coronaviruses mm-hmm. and then people put two and two together so that must be that doesn't have to be that lab of course but people wondered is that a coincidence or not but the Chinese have said no nobody ever tested positive around that time there was no contact tracing back to that lab so of course but the thing is we don't know so do you believe them well that's the question <laughs> isn't it I, I don't know but uh, but certainly we don't we still don't know I mean we need to find out and, and, and as we've discussed before it's really important because if it is a lab leak that's important because it means it may not happen again anytime soon and that's a good thing you know uh, if it's a natural wild infection that could be a worry because it might well happen again and another coronavirus a different one might jump into us and in fact what they're saying is things like you know the wildlife trade is an issue there they're bulldozing rainforests and all this kind of thing could could release the virus from the wild into humans you know so it's a really it's still a really important unanswered question yeah. And um, what's the, the theory that this is what uh, you guys would call a promiscuous virus? Well, that means it infects more than one animal. So we know that, you know, and we saw that when it went from humans into mink. Do you remember that a few months ago? It was infected mm-hmm. mink, for example. So we know it can jump between species, you see. So that means it's more it's promiscuous is the word. It doesn't live in just one species. And then we'd love to know what the intermediate species was. The pangolin was the one that was... Considered, as you may remember, that exotic animal was considered a possible intermediate, you know. So in other words, it could be a number of different species is what it jumped out of into us, you see. So we'd quite like to find that out. Uh, some of the text coming in, the lab leak theory makes a lot more sense than the wet market theory. The EU should punish China by imposing a corona levy on all Chinese imports. Uh, that's a suggestion from Ed, one of our listeners. Um, yeah, and then they just retaliate by you know, putting a levy on our milk products or whatever. Um, isn't it in the manufacturer's interest to claim that the vaccines only last six months? That's a really good so point. So they can make more and sell more. That's a good point. There's pressure on them, you know, because that, that, I hope not. Let's, let's put it that way, you know. But there's pressure on them now to say, look, for God's sake, extend the shelf life. Otherwise, we're ditching loads of vaccines that are essential, you know. Now, uh, some people 
simply will not or cannot contract COVID-19. Who are they and why? Well, this is another very interesting area because lots of lots of people are asking this question now because they're taking samples, say, from people who never got infected who should have. Uh, there's a big study happening, in fact, you love this, with couples, say, a couple who live together, one gets infected or doesn't, and they're together, you know, what's the difference there genetically? There may be some difference. So there's thousands and thousands of people being analysed for this to see if someone is resistant, basically. Another great one about it is they're looking at centenarians. It turns out there's a set of people over 100 who got infected and didn't get sick. And it was not a very interesting group because they should be at high mm. risk because they're older. There's a 114-year-old woman in Brazil, for example, who was infected. They're looking at her DNA. They're wondering, how could that woman survive, you see? So they're digging into the genetics of this to see why are some people resistant. Now, we know with other infectious diseases, there is resistance. And, and the great example was AIDS. There were people who were completely resistant to AIDS, never caught it, even though they were in a high-risk group, and they found a mutation in those people in a specific protein that the virus needed to get inside your cells. And it was broken in those people, you know, and then the virus couldn't get in. It's called CCR5, yeah. you see. So again, they're looking for this now in, in, in COVID, and a lot of work. I mean, you wouldn't believe this. Sam- tens, hundreds of thousands of samples being assessed the whole time. Uh, one option, Pat, that came up was the blood group. Remember this? The O group may yeah. give protection. That seems to be more evidence for this now. That's not definitive yet, but you may have a certain blood group and that might make you resistant or less prone to disease. So it's a really active area. Yeah, this uh, HIV work started with a young man when he was young when the HIV epidemic started. Stephen Crone was his name, as in Crone's disease, but nothing connected with him. And he was in a high-risk group. All his pals were dying. And he was saying, what's happening? Because they didn't know what was killing them in those days. They didn't know. And a guy called Bill Paxton, who I know, he he was the immunologist who discovered that that guy had this mutation in a thing called CCR5, which made him resistant, you see. And then, of course, drug companies began developing things that could block that in other people. And that works, that stops the virus getting in. And a new drug came out of that study, really. So so the benefit of this is if you can find someone who's resistant and get that into everybody, it'll make them less likely to be infected. That's why it's important, Mm -hmm. these kinds of studies. Okay, what about the flip side of that? People who get inexplicably sick when, you know, they're infected by COVID-19 and they're just far sicker than they should be for their age and circumstance. Yeah, that that was the second cohort, if you like. So so in other words, they took loads of people with severe disease, under 50, so if younger people, and why are those people getting really sick? And again, it could be all kinds of reasons. It can be just your bad luck. It can be picking up a high dose of the virus, say. But having drilled into it, 3.5% of them now can't make enough what's called interferons. Now interferons are a very important part of your immune system. They're very good at killing viruses and 3.5% of those severe cases couldn't make enough and that, that was the reason why that number of people were getting infected, you know. Another group they found a protein in your lungs that promotes inflammation was overactive and that was causing more damage then, you know. So there'll probably be multiple reasons. It won't be just one big reason, you know. But again, they're, they're, they're drilling into this now trying to find out why are some people especially affected. And the interferon one was good, Pat, because they can give people interferon, you see. So if someone is in that category, you can give them a shot of interferon and then they won't get a sick. So that's another reason why these studies are so important. Yeah. Now, uh, people are asking about that variant of uh, interest, the Mu variant. What's the latest? Pat, I'm very disappointed. I thought you knew Greek letters. It's Mu. It's pronounced Mu because it's a Greek letter. Yeah, you think it will be Mu the way you look at it. But, uh, yeah, when they're spelling it M, <laughs> I'm familiar with the symbol. That's right. That's a problem. I'm not, I'm not blaming you. It's a, it's a national mistake to make, but the correct pronunciation happens to be Mu. Yes, this is the new, this is the variant of interest. It's the latest one that the WHO have designated. Now, it's, it's significant in that it's the next one after 
after Delta, really, that they're looking at closely. Um, uh, but still, we don't know yet, basically. It's, it's got changes that are different to Delta. Uh, some are shared and some are different. It's got new changes, basically. So, of course, they're looking at it. But it's not a variant of concern yet. They haven't gone from variant of interest to variant of concern, which is what Delta is. So, But it's another one they're examining. It, it began in Colombia is the first time it gets reported. It's now in 40 countries. They're following it very yeah. closely, basically, just trying to see what happens. It could be more transmissible. What they look at is, is it, is it, is it more transmissible, like Delta? Can it dodge antibodies? Now, there was a study in a Paris lab already, actually, saying that antibodies still work against it to some extent. That was a good one, you know, so, so therefore that was a, mm. on the side of not, don't be worried at the moment. But the trouble is, it is there, it's different, and, and they're now monitoring it. Yeah, so uh, hopefully the next generation of uh, vaccines uh, will target... Yep. All possible variants. Uh, Mary says, I got COVID-19, my husband didn't. He's older and a smoker, but we're both O positive. So anyway, that's just an anecdotal uh, thing. I'm immunosuppressed because of MS medication. I was doubly vaccinated with AZ. If I get a booster, should it be AZ again or a different jab? Well, you won't get AZ. It's no. not going to be supplied. They're just giving, that's the good news part for everybody, it's the RNA vaccines, which is the best of the vaccines. Everybody, all the boosters will be RNA-based vaccines. All right, Luca, thanks for that update. Always fascinating stuff. And uh, we'll all be watching out for the new Mew. Yeah, one, one, quick, one quick thing. <laughs> but I've been asked to say this to you. Congratulations for your Imro nomination. And my podcast has been nominated as well. Isn't that nice? So, yeah. so we're good. And, and the podcast is out tonight. Uh, we have a new one out tonight about the pie, the famous number. So we're both nominated. Isn't that nice? <laughs> Doesn't yeah. mean well, we win, that, of course. That is congratulations to you. But I, I felt that you should have got my nomination because, um, <laughs> you know, what we do in this programme, a lot of it is down to what you do so anyway enough of this self-congratulation Luke thank you (laughs) thank you very much for uh, joining us